34 Breaking Kayfabe with Valentin and Barry. Barry, the question of the day before I get into today's content. Barry, bigger feud currently going on, Will Smith and Chris Rock or Ric Flair and Mark Madden? I'm going to say option number two on that one, because if you look at that, that's not going to go away anytime soon. Just, you know, both guys just doing such a great job of keeping up their dignity and, and uh, their legacy. Uh, yeah. So this particular episode, we are going for our match of the week. Barry, we are going to July 9th, 1983, Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. It is the Briscoes, Jack and Jerry, ta- defending, I'm sorry, defending their world tag team titles against Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat. Boom! We got two of the greatest tag teams of all time. Besides that, we're also going to be finishing up our Q&A segment where we answer the questions from you, the listeners, that were nice enough to submit them. We appreciate that. We're also going to be very recently, our old friends J.J. Dillon and Kevin Sullivan ended up on the Steve Harvey program. We're going to be taking a look at that and uh, discussing the uh, legitimacy therein of that particular uh, situation as it was televised. Barry, are you ready to go to our match of the week? Let's do it. Barry, now it's time to talk about our match of the week. Oh, a good one, Barry. We are going to, I checked it. I believe we're talking July 9th, 1983, mid-Atlantic as it is to, I don't even think we can really dispute this issue, despite what some Road Warriors fans may think. Two of the greatest tag teams of all time, as Jack and Jerry, the Briscoes, defending that World Tag Team Championship against Ricky Steamboat and Jay Youngblood, two of the really, really great tag teams of all times, Barry. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think you can supplant the Road Warriors argument, or at least shelve it temporarily, Jeff, because as of this morning, the Steiner brothers were announced as the latest Still no Midnight Express, but I digress. But the Steiners were announced for the latest uh, WWE Hall of Fame coming up. And of course, people immediately jumped all over social media and said, greatest really? is that a tag team. Apparently, social media is a thing. But here's the other thing that I didn't realize. Apparently, everyone's got an opinion now on social media. Go ah, figure. Go figure. Yeah. So apparently, Steiner Brothers, everyone acknowledging. Jeff, I don't know if you got the memo or Sweet Lou got the memo. Steiner Brothers, according to the internet today, greatest tag team of all time of course yes big dad bad uh, booty whatever the fuck his name is but yeah you you know what all this means don't you barry it It means this morning that vince mcmahon woke up went to the shitter uh was having his daily movement and said "Ah, i think i'll put the steiners in the hall of fame pretty much and then looked at it and much like you just said and then said hmm that jim Cornette seems like a royal pain in the ass you know what that Midnight Express is never getting in. That's what I yeah. take away from it. So yeah, it's just unbelievable. But let's get back to this match, Barry. What'd you think of this match? Tell the good folks about it. That match was fantastic too. And and to talk, we should say both these teams really are spectacular. This is Briscoe brothers are just, again, lost to history in the fact that they basically were done by 1984. I don't think Steamboat and Youngblood went went past uh, 84. I, I think that was the year that they wrapped it up. And, and both teams are, I would say, two of the best working wrestling teams that I, I probably have ever seen. You know, you're not going to get a lot of the uh, Road Warrior power moves and stuff like that. But from a wrestling standpoint, from a psychological standpoint, 
understanding pro wrestling wouldn't get any better than this. What I liked about this match, too, is that this was not a match that that essentially was taped for television. This comes up on something called fan cam footage. Whoever these people are, thank you, thank you, and thank you, because this is such a great look at a match that took place inside an arena that was never filmed, and yet uh, you're saying it's 1983? Yeah, and uh, let, let me just add, sure. this thing was just posted on YouTube like a couple of months ago, so this is... You know, I don't know if somebody had this footage and just never bothered to post it or it got, you know, it was on the W. I don't know. But, you know, like whoever posted it, thank you, because this is the kind of stuff that especially the shows like ours is just gold. It is. If you're a pro wrestling fan, this sure, is yeah. gold. This is like so I, I'm actually I'm going to subscribe to this guy's channel and I'm going to pray for for more of the stuff. This was great seeing it. Uh, referee Stu Schwartz. We lost Stu a few months ago. I've raved about Stu Schwartz as a referee. You've seen him a few times. Uh, to our listeners, because we've reviewed matches where Stu is the referee, a better referee, I don't believe has ever existed. I, he, I think he's, if not the best, he certainly is right there with the best. And also the shape of Stu Schwartz. It, it, I'm going to assume he's 60 years old here. I don't know. It, it, close to it. He's in the best shape of any referee I've ever seen. The guy, he was always just in tremendous shape. Uh, rest in peace, Stu. Uh, we all Truly, truly appreciate your efforts. Solid work. What I liked about this match, too, uh, I got to say, too, the Briscoes in the ring beforehand, they're in the ring for about five minutes beforehand before Steamboat and Youngbug come out. And the the heel gestures and mannerisms, Jack jogging around the ring, putting his fingers in the air to signify he's number one, kind of like what Daniel Bryan did. Years later, they are having so much fun being heels. That's one you of the see top, it, right. You, know, you my see God, it. it's hilarious. Yeah, the, the the you could see, especially Jerry. Jack seems to love it, but Jerry's really Jerry's popping up on the on the ring ropes. They're both gesturing for fans to get in the ring who are saying things. There's like a little dance at one point. These guys are fucking relishing this moment of being heels. And I'll tell you what, they do a great job. That's the other aspect, too. And we've talked about this. The Briscoes had never truly been heels. Jack was a, I guess, was considered a heel in West Texas when he was world's champion. And because of their long-running feud with the Funks, I believe Jack was a heel. But he wasn't a heel on any sort of national level. And Jerry, I think, also West Texas. When they worked Florida, which was many years, you know, you're you're talking 15 years that they were steady workers in Florida, they had a program with Mike Graham and Steve Kern and the Briscoes weren't technical heels uh, or technically heels. They were, it was subtle in the way that they did it. And and the audience, the crowd was, I don't want to say evenly split. I do think that more fans were going towards Graham and Kern, but that's the way it was positioned. Graham and Kern are the young heartthrob kids and then the Briscoe brothers are being positioned as the older, slightly disgruntled vets, which is exactly what it is in this match as well. Like, except that the Briscoes are full out heels in this match. But I, I definitely think the Genesis had been laid five years earlier with Graham and Kern. They're just fucking loving it. The work is solid. The other thing that I truly love about this match are the fans because the fans are livid at the end of the match. And I got to say, Steamboat, he's a heel in this match, Jeff. I don't know if you see that, but he uh, he jumps in after the match is over 
Uh, he attacks the Briscoe brothers. Then Youngblood gets in. They double team. But watching the fans who are taunting the Briscoe brothers, and there's one young lady at ringside wearing a white shirt that is literally doing like Nana Nana Boo Boo. <laughs> it's, it's almost like she's got her, her thumbs in her ears and she's waving her fingers and sticking her tongue out, but she's all over the Briscoe brothers. And, uh, and then the rest of the fans are either jeering the Briscoes or supporting Steamboat Youngblood. But the beauty of it is, this is, you clearly see it. This is from the time when fans believed and fans paid their money because they wanted to see somebody get their ass kicked and because they believed. And that's, that's really what I love. This is great. Again, I love the fact this is fan cam footage and not studio. I'm happy that there's no commentary over this highly recommended. I am subscribing to this guy's channel. I recommend everyone do the same because this is such a great look at a great territory, Jeff. Yes. And so, first of all, Barry, you're 100% right. Check. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about the very beginning of the match. As they come out to the ring, Jack and Jerry, uh, Jack Briscoe at a certain age where, you know, occasionally men, I don't know if you know this, Barry, will begin to have their hair thin a bit. Oh, yeah. And, and Jack walks past a huge sign that says Bald Eagle. And, uh, oh, the disgrace to the former world champion, Barry. And, you know, I mentioned uh, just how great they are playing to the crowd and, you know, holding up, you know, we're number one. And and they're almost like they're responding to the boos as if they're being cheered, you know, and, and that was really awesome. And then Jack, you know, because Steamboat and Youngblood hadn't come to the ring yet, grabs the house mic and says, uh, you know, if you guys want to forfeit, just say so, you know. And, of course, the crowd just explodes. And, uh, you know, then, of course. Uh, Steamboat and Youngblood come in the ring. And during the introductions, Greg, I don't know if you caught it, my, uh, once again, making fun of Jack's uh, thinning hair, oh. Jay Youngblood begins to pat his head to show that he's got the full head of hair. I saw that, yes. <laughs> that was just awesome stuff. So here's something that I, I want to make sure that you noticed, because I don't think I've ever seen this before. You know, Tully Blanchard was famous for the slingshot suplex, okay? Did you notice Jerry, I believe, giving Jay Youngblood the reverse slingshot where he takes the bump on the ropes on his back and then is yeah. brought back in? I mean, I was like, holy fuck, what a great looking move. And I really, I don't know if it's a dangerous move or what, but it looked fantastic. And I can't believe someone hadn't stolen it, Bear. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? Let's see who, let's see who's listening to our show. Uh, <laughs> in the seven, let's see if this winds up. We, we know that FTR are listeners. We're aware that FTR is. Guys, a, feel free to steal the move. You know? Absolutely. Because they seem like the perfect tag team that would be using that move as and, well. So. And wait a minute. Instead of the Melcher driver, uh, guys, maybe you can call this the, the Bowdrin and Barry suplex. You know, we, we will appreciate that. And I'm sure Tony Connell will uh, sign off on that. But uh, the ending of the match has uh, uh, Steamboat is uh, laying, uh, he's on top of Jack. Jerry comes off the top rope after a schmaz outside, and uh, they roll Jack over. Jack gets a a, a, a pen on Steamboat. Imagine that, Barry, uh, uh, a top-level babyface getting a, a clean pinfall on him. Well, I won't say a clean pinfall, but getting the one, two, three. This is back in the day when uh, that's stuff you did because, uh, you know, you were a professional wrestler and you would do that stuff. And, and of course, they got their heat back immediately afterwards. But, uh, yeah, this, let, me, uh, we will, let me ask you some questions sure. about that then. So I, I'll I, allow I, two. 
That's all. Two. Okay, I'll go with that. And let me make sure that I got the two lined up. I was surprised that it was Steamboat getting the pinfall. How long after this match, in a rough estimation, was Steamboat gone from Mid-Atlantic in the WWF? Would it have been like a year and a half to two years? Uh, Well, let's see. Uh, He was there. It was at least a year and a half because he was, of course, he faced Tully at Starkid 84. So it had nothing to do with him leaving the territory. No, 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 not at all. Wow. Then that's, to your point, that's really commendable because he's just doing a job at a house show. The second thing, and we can talk about this, we've, we've discussed previously what a missed opportunity Steamboat staying in Charlotte would have been. And a lot of that was Steamboat going to the big stage, the quote unquote big stage up with the WWF. But a lot of it was that I guess Dusty wasn't the biggest Steamboat fan. He wasn't one of Dusty's boys. and Because he, he wasn't one of his boys. And it's a shame because Steamboat coming from St. Pete probably saw Dusty wrestle many times, but he wasn't one of Dusty's boys. Dusty let him go. The rest is history. What happened with the team of Steamboat and Youngblood? With their separation, was it, and, and you may or may not know, Sweet Lou may or may not know, there's no secret here that Youngblood uh, developed a very serious drug problem with that also put on a lot of weight and wound up bouncing around territories, spent some time in Florida actually was, was heavier as a single. And I, I want to say steamboat has addressed the split before. I just don't remember details or where I read it. Was it directly related to steamboat, not wanting to tag with him any longer Based off the drug issue, was was Youngblood released, uh, terminated from Mid-Atlantic to go somewhere else? Do you know any of the details how all this went it, down? You know, I'm going to kind of say something that happened at the, the dinners that I remember. Uh, we asked Ricky Steamboat, I said, tell us about your former partner, Jay Youngblood. And, and it was not like I didn't go into some long preamble. I just said, you know, tell us about Jay Youngblood. And the first thing he said, and it really surprised me, was he said he he was a drug addict. Actually, he may have said something, and he may have used a curse word, like he was a fucking drug addict or something. But he did say he was a drug addict. And that he was so blunt in the uh, the comment God. really kind of surprised me. And he told stories about uh, coming back to, uh, you know, like, or, or being in a hotel room and uh, and looking and seeing Jay walk across the street to like a liquor store and just kind of, you know, it's like in the middle of the night or like very late at night. And he just kind of shook his head. And then he said he would go out there to look for him and he would find Jay like in a stairwell, like passed out. So, you know, whether it was drugs or alcohol, he had serious, serious friggin' issues. I do not know if Ricky Steamboat went to the promotion and said, I don't want to fucking team with this guy anymore. Or he just was, you know, like ready to become a single guy again. I, I don't know, but I know that Jay Youngblood's uh, uh, addiction and uh, you know problems with whether it's alcohol or drugs certainly didn't help the situation. How about that, Bear? Yeah, and it, it so a couple of things. I believe the drug of choice was cocaine, which which made his move to Florida all, all make all the more sense, right? <laughs> yeah, but but here's the other thing. He he also gained a tremendous amount of weight, which kind of is the opposite of what a lot of people yeah. use cocaine. Well, and that's and that's why I said the alcohol I think was also part of the right. uh, the equation. So I want to say that I do want to say that he addressed this 
And he was much like you said, he was blunt about it. He was blunt in discussing Jay's problems with drugs and alcohol. And, and, and it sounded like he had no patience for it. So I, I bar, he had had patients and lost the patients at some right. point. And that's yeah. probably what happened. And it was probably affecting his money and his bookings as well. Yeah. So at that point, he certainly is going to be. And I, I think the real shame here too, if you look at Jay in this match, he looks like a million dollars. Yeah. So I, I don't know if it, uh, if the drug abuse had already started, you know, certainly it got a lot worse within a year to two years, but he looks fantastic. And Jay Youngblood is a guy that seemingly had it all. Like when you look at it, it, the similarities to Steamboat actually are, makes a lot of sense now. He's almost just a smaller version in some ways of Steamboat. He's a great worker. He looks great. He's in great shape. There's no flaw in his game. It's just, it's a shame. He was in his, I think he was in his late twenties, right? When he died of a yeah, heart attack. And then he, uh, what do you call, uh, I know, I think he teamed up with his brother, Mark for a while after, uh, after the steamboat. Yeah, Youngblood thing. Uh, and then, Florida. well, no, no, in mid Atlantic, I believe too. And then I, right. I want to say maybe Luke can check on this and correct me, but I think he had a run under a hood as the renegade or like under a, a partial mask, uh, you know, they did, I think when that was like in 84 before he came down to Florida uh, and then he came down to Florida and, uh, you know, very, uh, very tragically, we lost him, uh, you know, but he was at this point, you know, it's hard to believe, I, you know, just in there looking probably like within two years, he was dead, yeah. you know, and it's just, it's just amazing to think and had physically in those two years, really his body had changed quite a bit. You know, you mentioned to put it, so this putting on weight wasn't something that happened over the course of five or 10 years. This was like two years, boom. Yeah. And this guy went straight, you know, down, uh, you know, down the hill, uh, physically speaking. So, okay, Barry, before we get to our, uh, our Q and a segment where we we're going to finish up answering the questions from our, our listeners, I said, tell you a quick story. Barry, are you familiar with the, uh, the, uh, the app Zelle? Oh yeah. Very okay. Familiar. So you have PayPal, you got your Venmo, you got your Zelle. Okay. Yep. Well, the reason I bring this up to tell you a little story, Barry, but you sainted Mrs. Bowdrin recently went on Zelle to try to sell. We actually, believe it or not, uh, Mrs. Bowdrin uh, does not easily let go of the past in certain cases. Jeff, I have to interrupt you here for a second. When you say Mrs. Bowdrin went on to Zelle to sell something, there is a consumer site for Zelle that you can sell merchandise? Uh, Oh, you know what? Let me me stop right there. I apologize. You're right. She went on Facebook and their Uh, Facebook store. And she was going to accept Zelle as a payment. There we Thank go. Thank you. That you're you're absolutely right there, Barry. Uh, you're 100 right, Barry. <laughs> Check. Thank you. Uh, so anyway, so she goes on Facebook to sell my daughter's uh, bedroom furniture that she had when she was like 10. Now, let's just say uh, Kelly, my beloved daughter, is no longer 10. However, we've kept the furniture with us, and so now it's time, Mrs. Bowden, finally going to give it up. She says, "I'm going to put it on Facebook." Uh, uh, their uh, their store, and uh, we'll see who bids on it. Now, she had asked, I believe, six hundred dollars, and it was for a bedroom set. It's like the bed, the desk, a dresser, uh, maybe a you know something like that. And it was three pieces. And so uh, I said, so you think you're going to get six hundred bucks for this? Well, you know, it's like one of these things. Uh, if somebody offers me uh, five, I'll take that. But you know, and Mrs. Bowden uh, working the uh, the Kia on the sale. Uh, so anyway. So she's sitting there and we're like watching TV one night and all of a sudden uh, she looks at me and she goes, hey, I got somebody that offered me like 650 bucks. I'm like, oh, cool. And then like literally 
You know, they want they want to know if they can come by tomorrow. Can you be home tomorrow? Uh, uh, you know, and 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 make sure this person's here to pay. And I, yeah, that's what I got to do. I'll, I'll make sure I'm home. And and then like uh, about another ten minutes goes by. Yeah, it's up to seven hundred now. And she, boy, you could just see that gleam in her eye. You know, she is ready to to make a sale. And then she said, it's gone up again. And I said, what's it up to now? And she goes, I just had someone bid $800. And I'm like, look at you <laughs> kicking ass on the, uh, on the sale of this furniture. That's awesome. And I said, you know, I said, I'll have Andy come over tomorrow to help move the, uh, cause it's up on the second floor and we'll move it down into the garage. And that way it'll be ready for the you know person when they come pick it up. And they're like, yeah, we want to, you know, come by uh, and pick it up sometime tomorrow. We'll have a truck and you know, all this kind of stuff. Well, then about a half hour goes by Barry. And then the sainted Mrs. Bowden looks over at me and she goes, you know what? I said, what? She goes, I think it's a scam. I said, oh, what, what, what do you mean? And she goes, well, she goes, I got a notification from uh, Zelle, the payment method that she was uh, favoring, that because the person purchasing the items did not have, I believe this is the way it goes, did not have enough money in their Zelle account to cover the cost they wanted. Uh, can you give us your bank account number? And then they'll send you that, you know, one of those kind of things. Oh, and I go, Oh, is this like the Nigerian prince that has a uh, $5 million and all you need to do is set you, send me your uh, bank account. So yeah, let me just say there is a special uh, spot in hell for people that run fucking scams like this. And the thing is, as I said, if this was my mom and I hate to say this, my mom would have totally fucking fallen for this. Sure. You know, and there are people out there that would have totally fallen for this. People, be fucking careful. It's, if, if it sounds too good to be true, Barry, it usually means... It means it's really too good to be true. Exactly, yes. And, you know, just fucking people, be careful out there because you got assholes like these people that are out there trying to fuck you out of your money. And, you know, ugh. Quick question, Jeff. The, the person trying to fuck... fuck your wife out of the money last name hilton by any chance uh no that's another that's another fucking that uh right. the Bowden family <laughs> got but thank you for reminding me and bringing that up again barry exactly. uh so anyway let's go back barry i am gonna start with uh let's see i think we left off with uh tom hale so we're gonna go to james young barry what now gone restaurant chain would you resurrect oh i like that one too who is this? Is this Tom Hale? Is that what no, you said? No, no, this is James Young. James Young. Uh, James Young, I think North Carolina, if I'm correct. What chain would I resurrect that I truly miss the most? Tough one here because there really are a lot of great, great options. I'm, I got and, two. All right, so let me ask you a question, and you tell me if this counts. It's a chain where there was once like 300 there's only two left and they're owned independently. Does that, does that count? Yes, or? because I think both of mine are in the same situation. Gotcha. There's always like that. Like yours probably isn't Mr. Donut, is it? Uh, as a matter of fact. <laughs> is it really? Yeah. I think there's one left in Japan. That's right. That's what yeah. I was going to say. Right. Holy shit. Ashley Elena Kamek was the one that uh, I think posted pictures of her going to Mr. Donut or something like yeah. that. And then so. Eric, uh, Eric Cholminski will will swear to God, I think it's potato flour they use, that they have the best donuts in the world. For me, it's Pioneer Chicken, and Pioneer Chicken was a West Coast chicken chain I used to eat out there, and it wasn't expensive back in the day, and it was the best chicken I'd ever had. And a, when I was out in L.A., what, three years ago, two and a half years ago, I got with Gabe Daigle, and we went to Pioneer. There's only 
two left. One's in uh, Boyle Heights. The other is, I think, Gardenia. I forget where it is. We met up, and I got to tell you, I sat there, and I almost had tears in my eyes. Pioneer Fried Chicken gets my vote. You've got two. We already know one. What's the other one, Jeff? Well, it's one that you, I believe, referenced either last week or the week before. Barry, I'm bringing back fucking Lums. Oh, nice call. Yes, Lums with the hot dogs that are cooked in beer. And uh, yeah, that's the that's the kind of shit I miss, Barry. So, Barry, next, let me go to our old friend, Jamie Ward. Now, Jamie asked a, uh, uh, a question that involved uh, his post involved, like, I think, three or four questions. And he wants to save part of the question for the CWF Legends Fan Fest. But I will ask one of the questions that he uh, mentioned. Barry, do you know, did Eddie ever have any thoughts of going national or was he sort of out of the loop by the time national broke? So I know that there was a, so he was, uh, was he out of the loop when national, he was still in the loop. He committed suicide in nine, in 85. If I'm correct, it was around to 83, 84 when they went national. But had Eddie lost most of his stroke at that point? Yeah, I think Eddie saw what the future of professional wrestling was, and he was looking at the outside ventures. I do know that there was a conversation that Eddie had had with Terry Funk, and Terry Funk had basically told Eddie the future of pro wrestling. I I should say, I I think Terry was maybe initially looking at his territory. They wound up selling the Funk sold to Murdoch and Mulligan, and then West Texas was basically done at that point. And if you remember, Jeff, you and I were at the house of Marty and Dory Funk, and Marty was pulling out boxes of papers out of her garage. Do you remember that? I do. And one of the things she uh, showed us was the, I guess, the bill of sale, the contract, the agreement between the Funks and Murdoch and Mulligan. And it was the transfer of sale. And I, I immediately put an offer on that, which was <laughs> shot down, though. And I got to say, Marty, if you're listening, as I'm sure that you are at every episode, yeah, uh, I would still like to purchase that because it is it, what scares me. I'm completely going off topic. What what scares me about shit like this and to anyone who is a collector of anything, doesn't matter what it is. This was a box of papers sitting in an unair conditioned garage. In Florida, what's the shelf life on that? <laughs> How many more years does that have if this is not rescued? And there was a lot of other amazing. There was all of his contracts from uh, all Japan yeah. with Baba. So it's like, my God, please do something with this. If, you, if you're going to sell it, sell it now so collectors can preserve this. And I have, what was the fucking question again? <laughs> did Eddie ever talk about going national? Yeah, and I think did. you've answered that. I did. So it, apparently T Terry Funk had gotten an Eddie's ear. And uh, I think even Dusty, there was a conversation. Yes. And Eddie would have been the guy from the NWA at that point, still the strongest member of the NWA, even if his territory wasn't. So I believe there was he he saw the writing on the wall and realized it was over. So, yes. How would wrestling history have changed? I'm going to throw this one at you real quick. It's not a question from a listener. How would wrestling history have changed? If Terry Funk had never gone to Hollywood and if Terry Funk had been in the sort of position where he had a lot of uh, sway with people, a lot of pull the way that Dusty did. Like, say, early 80s. It, had they had they gone national? 
Yeah, like if Terry had been in a position like, you know, like when Dusty sure. Rhodes through, because I, I really think one thing that you can give, yeah, you can give Terry credit for a lot of shit. But one thing is Terry had a unique ability to see down the road uh, what was what was coming. And unfortunately, in the wrestling business, there were a lot of wrestlers and promoters that couldn't see past next week, you know. And giving him credit, Vince McMahon was that way too. Vince McMahon could see things down the road. Yes. And and I think Terry was the guy. That's why I say that Terry would have made for an interesting counterpoint to Vince as far as the going. If, if Vince, for instance, or I'm sorry, if Terry, for instance, had been the guy in Jim Crockett Jr.'s ear instead of Dusty, you know, and. But it's they, an excellent question. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a what if. There's no so question about this it. Is, so my feeling on that, is, so there's, a, there's two answers to it, or it's a two-part answer. The first answer is, had Terry been in anyone's ear that was going to go national, and then Terry played a part in it, I do think as wrestling fans, we would have been treated to some really great shit. And I think as wrestling fans, we would have won. I do think also that this wouldn't have had a long shelf life that I think Vince and you just said it, look, and we've trashed Vince, right? But Vince did have at that stage, the ability to look really far in advance and to see things. And Vince was a pure, pure politician. I don't know if Terry could have in the same way done, let's say what Vince did, but as wrestling fans, we would have won. That would have been great for us. Matthew Tyler wants to know what two people would you want to have on the air to have a tell all with no questions guarded or dodged? What two people? So that's boy. I mean, you know, there's a million right there and this is not my answer, but we were, we were going to at a CWF legends fan fest next uh, fan fest coming up on June the 4th, by the way, slip that right in. I did tickets still available. You can go to eventbrite.com or reach out to me personally or Jeff. But with that, Bob, that's that's the Barry Rose CWF legends. Fan fest. I understand (laughs) new name. apparently, which I love. I got a couple of uh, texts about about that from people. I bet you people who thought it was real. No, they were just like, did you see that? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. We were going to have Roop and Fuller to talk about uh, what had taken place in Knoxville in uh, 79 or whenever it was, 78, 79. It's been like 150 years at this stage. But we were going to have them on. That would have been great. And I say because now that we look back on that story and everyone condemned Bob Roop, uh, and there were some very vicious things, which I've discussed, you know, so I won't go into it, but there, there was a lot of uh, bandwagon jumping and jumping on Ron's bandwagon. With that, look, you know, we were friendly with Ron as well, but in hindsight, some stuff came out with Roop from Robert Fuller, Jimmy Golden, where they actually backed Bob. So there's a lot more to the story. And if Ron was being truly 100% honest about what took place, the question I would want to know is, Ron, were you aware whatsoever that these two women were stealing from the box office? That I would want to know. But let's be honest. If you could get Vince McMahon That's to a conversation that was be yeah. where there's no filter and he's going to answer everything honestly, imagine that conversation. Sure. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, and you know, honestly, I, I've said before, I would, you know, I'd be willing if Vince McMahon said, I'll, "I'll come on, I'll answer any questions," 
I'd be willing to stop it like uh, the night Backlund dropped the title. I don't even fuck, I don't even fucking need to go into the Hogan stuff. You know, we'll save that for part two. I just, love it, Jeff. I love it. So just, here you go. Just What's hearing- your number one question for Vin? If you so taking this, you because I've got one. You're sitting at a table for with Vince. He's known, you know, Vince isn't going to give you a lot of time. It's the way Vince is. You can get one question out. What are you asking? Fuck. That's now that's a good question. Um, right. Does it have to be pre 83? Could be anything you want. Okay. Um, okay. Right off the top of my head. Do you think your father made a mistake in not turning Billy Graham babyface uh, when he uh, was due to drop the belt to Backlund? Vince McMahon. That's a John McAdam approved question. I was going to say, <laughs> my God, that's a John. That would McAdam have approved. happened at Witchies. <laughs> that it would have happened at Witchies. Uh, so for me, Vince, because this is unfiltered and you have to answer truthfully to all these questions, what specifically was your role in the cover up of the Nancy Argento murder from Jimmy Snuka? Okay, uh, the only thing is that's post eighty three. Oh, I don't give a it? shit. I, oh, I don't okay. Well, no, I thought that was limiting myself. I think yeah. it was. I think it was eighty-three. But at the same time, that's what I. It, the fact that no, and that's a that's a great question all too. All signs seem to point to that Vince covered up a murder. Yeah. And here we are now, almost forty years later, and there's nothing. Nothing's ever come of it. Well, and and honestly, if that is a, a fair question to ask, and he's willing to answer it uh, with uh, no filter. Is that the worst thing Vince has ever done? <laughs> Excellent. So, yes. uh, I will say uh, Vince was uh, one of my uh, choices, but since Barry has uh, answered that, I will say uh, the other dream guest that I've always wanted, and I would love to have an uh, unexpurgated uh, conversation with Cowboy Bill Watts about it, because that's a guy that I just think, you know, I know he was on 605 uh, a long time ago, but that's a guy that had so much history tied to him, and uh, I would love to you know, just bend his ear with uh, questions about his days working, working with Bruno in New York. You know, uh, that's the kind of shit that always fascinates me. And then, you know, going to Florida, learning at the feet of Eddie Graham, taking the territory from Leroy McGurk and all that other kind of stuff. And then the other one, strictly on a personal level, uh, I don't know uh, how well this person speaks English. And maybe at the fan fest in CW, uh, CW fan fest, the Barry Rose fan fest in Lutz, Florida, Barry, uh, we are going to fa- of course have Medusa Michelli there. Maybe we can ask Medusa how well bull Nakano speaks English. And if she does, I would love to have bull Nakano on her. And honestly, it's not like, Hey, you remember that day in the elevator? No, because you know, she was so tight. I was watching shit. Japanese women. I, I I'll just throw this out there real quick. I found a link to an entire, a Japanese women's program. From like, uh, I want to say January of 84. And what was awesome about it was Chigusa and Lioness were probably 18 or 19. Dump Masamoto still had brown hair. And they were doing something to uh, uh, one of the things they showed that, you know, aside from the matches was they were doing some sort of group thing where uh, the, the guy that owned the promotion took all the ladies to this town. And he had them all run like some kind of like 5K. And it was some kind of prize wow. for whoever won the 5K. Uh, go figure, dump a uh, finish last. Uh, you know, and she actually was, you know, when they got there, she, they were talking to her and she was laughing about the fact she finished last. But it was just an example, Barry, of what a genius the guy that owned uh, the Japanese women's promotion, at, at least in that at that period of time, was. Obviously, of course, later, I think there was all kind of 
uh, financial mismanagement or whatever that ended up closing the promotion down. But just uh, stellar, stellar stuff. Okay, let me go back to our questions here. And our next question, Rick Nathan. I think you know that guy, Barry. He wants to know, Barry, what is your worst concert going experience? Sure. And I've talked about this previously and I, well, uh, then we can go to the next question. Oh, we probably should. And I, I won't tell the story again, but it was Genesis around 92, 93. You see the picture of the, that came out yesterday. I did. I, oh my God. So really? Collins looks horrible. Oh yeah. And I, I always like bad, literally a, right. the little old man, you know, he's a little, but apparently in real life, he's kind of a dick. He's done some really shady shit. His personal life has been a mess for years and uh but he does he looks terrible i guess there's some sort of health issue but he does to your he looks horrific so i have also mentioned so i will not go into great detail but uh i remember the time that uh, i believe my wife and i went to a venerable joe robbie stadium and went and saw the police and it was nothing the police did i'm sure they're good in a, a slightly smaller venue but the acoustics at joe robbie stadium uh, and this was, of course, before they changed uh, the uh, the stadium around and, uh, you know, redid a lot of stuff. This was uh, when they did their reunion tour, uh, which I can't even remember what year it was. But the acoustics at the stadium were horrific, horrible. And I paid probably 50 bucks to park like a mile away. So, yeah, right. that was not a real good experience. So next, Brian Jones wants to know, Barry, what musician or band would you have booked to do the concerts at the Great American Bash in 1986, either multiple acts or just one to do the entire tour. I guess he means in lieu of David Allen Coe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that would have been the first guy I would have picked anyway. Well, yes, I mean, I David Allen Coe might be good in the South, you know? And there, and there it is your point. So I would go with the Rolling Stones. <laughs> really? You think Jim Crockett has Rolling Stone money? No, the guy's name who asked the question is Brian Jones. Oh, seems, I got you. Seems ah. like an easy, low-hanging Boom, fruit right there. You. Yes. Uh, so if it's if it's the Brian Jones, we got a real news story here, Bear. So here's the weird we do. Here's the weird thing about wrestling and music, right? Even when Vince was doing the first WrestleMania, he brings out Liberace, and I have to say to myself. Do are people that are watching WrestleMania giving a shit about Liberace? <laughs> are Liberace's right? fans tuning exactly. in? Exactly. They're not. Like, I, I don't understand. They've done this a lot. Like, they've brought out celebrities that you go, the, the wrestling fans don't give a shit about these people. They don't. They've gotten better about this in years, you know, the recent years. But in the early days, they, they didn't care about that. So, you know, to your point, if I was going to do this in the NWA, especially in 85, the stronghold was the South. Yeah. That's exactly where they were. I think they may have been in Baltimore, you know, occasionally Chicago, but I am going to try to go towards the South. Maybe who's got a bigger appeal than David Allen Coe in the South? I mean, I think a lot of people did, but maybe I would look towards a Leonard Skinner. I don't know what variation of Skinner in 85 was around maybe a 38 special. I'm going to look for maybe Southern rock, but somebody with a little more of a, of an appeal than David Allen Coe. That's just my opinion. Well, and let's be honest. I, I think uh, the David Allen Coe thing was a huge vanity deal with dusty. Uh, so this was Absolutely. not Jim Crockett jr. Uh, being smart enough to go, Hey, let's get that 38 special band. I, you know, Jim Crockett jr. Maybe didn't even know who 38 special was for all we know, but you know, and you know, you were talking about how uh, in more recent years they've been. Th Let's be candid. When Motorhead 
was at WrestleMania to bring out Triple H. That was a complete fucking vanity project for Triple H. You know, there weren't people sitting at WrestleMania going, oh, my God, I'm fucking here for wrestling and motorhead. You know, now I'm sure Zaha is is fucking losing his, his, you know, lunch because uh, I've defamed in some way motorhead. No, it's just like it's almost always somebody's vanity project whenever there's a band there that shows up, you know, and whether it's to do one song uh, to do the national anthem, whatever, you're overpaying for that, people. It's money that should be going into the wrestlers' pockets that are now, you know, being used to pay off David Allen Coe or Motorhead or whoever, you know? Well, here's the sad part about that. The only thing I would say also in contrast is that at least Motorhead is known worldwide. So people order. Sure, no, that's but, fair. But they'd also done, Motorhead or Lemmy had done, I believe, two songs related to triple h they were they directly did his theme music so unlike dusty which a hundred percent was just you know dusty was a big david alico fan so of course he's got to get it but to your point you know wrestlemania comes up every year motorhead's getting we'll assume let's say a mil we don't know let's say they're getting a million dollars to come on the show how many people are actually buying other than zaha are buying a ticket for WrestleMania, whether it's a pay-per-view or in person, because Motorhead's on it, but then how many wrestlers are left off the show that don't get a payday? Yeah. That seems And, and honestly, you know, if, if Dusty wanted to do some kind of vanity project and he wanted to do somebody that he knew that had more of a national appeal than David Allen Coe, like, hello, Willie Nelson, you know? Uh, yeah, yeah. He's always played that video, Whiskey River! You know, I mean, like, have fucking, at least if you go up to Philadelphia, people in Philadelphia are going to know who the fuck Willie Nelson is, yep. as opposed to, you know, David Allen Coe. Now, let me just uh, give a little uh, personal note here on this. I know one of the people that was on that tour was Delbert McClinton. And John McAdam always shits on Delbert McClinton. Let me tell you something. Delbert Why? McClinton is fucking awesome. Okay? But... I will admit that Delbert McClinton is one of those guys. He's great in a smaller venue. Veteran Stadium in Philadelphia, yeah. I'm guessing Delbert McClinton was probably not a good choice if they did a stadium like that. If I go out to a, a you know, like I've talked before about the Pompano Amphitheater, it holds like you know, a couple thousand people. That's where you see fucking Delbert McClinton, and you have one of the great enjoyable experiences of any concert that you've ever gone to because Delbert McClinton fucking brings it He's got great tunes, you know, uh, they call it, uh, was it Blue-Eyed Soul kind of stuff, and, uh, you know, just great, great stuff, but the fact that, you know, they booked Delbert McClinton, I don't know if it was like RFK Stadium or something like that, uh, on that ridiculously overblown tour that they did for the Bash in 86, which let's not even get started on some of the venues they played, Barry, which were completely insane, but, uh, you know, He's better in a smaller venue. So if they had done it in an arena, you know, if they went instead to Philadelphia to the uh, to the arena in Philadelphia and Delbert McClinton was there, well, maybe the audience would have been a little more accepting because it would have been a more intimate venue than, you know, in some outdoor stadium. What do you think? Yeah, and I should say here, yes, you're right. Uh, Delbert McClinton recently in Philadelphia, I believe, as of uh, the last 60 days, played a venue, Jeff. It's about 600 seats max. There you go. There you go. Yeah. So, okay, next question comes from Daniel Williams. What's a food you were excited to try as an adult that you ended up hating? I didn't know there was any prohibitions. You know? Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't really know. I don't, I don't think, I mean, I hated olives, which I still hate olives, but I've always hated olives. It's not something that's changed. I can, I can reverse this question and tell you foods I hated as a kid that I enjoy as an adult. 
but I can't think of, uh, I don't, again, I don't think I was prohibited from eating certain foods when I was a kid that I tried. I actually have one that I can. Okay. When I was, uh, younger, I had never tried, uh, any kind of like shrimp, like, especially like growth, like shrimp on the Barbie, you know, uh, and my, uh, my late brother-in-law cooked that for me once. I want to say I was about 15 years old and, uh, shrimp, unless I go to Outback is a, is a go-to call, whether it's as an appetizer or a, a main meal. And, uh, Mrs. Baldrin could not hate shrimp and seafood anymore. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, she, yeah. It looks like bugs. You know, that's, that was her, that's her standard refrain on that. They're so, so good, Jeff. Yes. And you, you don't really eat avocados, right? No. So I'm a big avocado guy and I, uh, I was watching food net. I was watching one of the food channels last week and I saw a recipe and, and I happened to have everything except for the shrimp. Essentially, it's chopped onion, mashed up avocado, olive oil, and then grilled shrimp, and it's all mixed up together. And I got to tell you, I, I made it, and I was just like, this is fucking unbelievable. So good. Go. Yeah. Chris Chenault wants to be like Javorski and ask two questions. He says, I'm watching the NCAA tournament. Do you think a well-booked tournament format could ever work in pro wrestling in the United States? So first off, happy anniversary to Christian Alt and his lovely wife. Okay, uh, we're not going to answer the question because we gave him a shout out. Okay. Uh, all right. And I okay. believe it's today. I, I, <laughs> that's why. So this will drop. This drops within 24 hours. So Chris, happy anniversary to you and your wife. Could it work? No, it, it couldn't. And I'll tell you why. AEW was very focused on the records. They still put the records up. Nobody cares. It's, I, I think it's a nice deal, but at the end of the day, Nobody cares about records. Nobody's buying that the record actually means something. None of that matters. And when we saw the the marquee of the Queensberry rules, whatever the fuck that yeah. was, just and, and though that's different, I just don't think I don't think on a national level this could work. I think I don't think I don't think the wrestling viewing public has the attention span for that, Jeff. Well, a couple things. First of all, I just finished up like a couple days ago. I did a, geez, it took me a couple of months because uh, I watched like maybe one or two shows a day. Uh, I finished watching 1980s to uh, Mid-Atlantic uh, the entire year because the entire year is on YouTube. And they literally have, I believe, 50 out of the 52 episodes of Mid-Atlantic Wrestling. And at some point, I want to say spring of 82, they had uh, started the, uh, remember the old NWA tag team tournament that came down to Ole and Stan versus Wahoo in Morocco? Sure do, yeah. And so, uh, you know, and what was funny was they complete for as much time as they put in on the Mid-Atlantic television show into that thing, and oh, we've got teams from all over, uh, Adonis and Ventura, Ganya and Brunzel, all these teams from all these different promotions are coming in, and they just completely shit to bed. And whether it was because someone just like, said, ah, fuck it, this isn't getting over. Now, let me mention, though, the amount of detail that when that's a key word, that went into the All Japan and New Japan tournaments in the 80s, where literally they would, in the newspapers uh, or, you know, magazines or whatever, uh, television, every week they would update you, okay, in our tournament, this is the standings, this way, you know, and they would give, like, say, uh, I think it was, uh, like, I'm just going to guess three points. If you pinned the uh, other team, two points, if you uh, won by a count out one point, if it was a draw and of course, zero, if you lost and 
they, as they worked the tournaments, and this was something that Baba and uh, whether it was like Shinma and Noki, whoever, the, the bookers, uh, maybe Sakaguchi, they worked this shit out for the entire month so that literally every year the tournament was in doubt on the last night of the tour. Right. And it was absolutely fucking brilliant. Now, is Vince ever going to do that? No, he's never going to do it because he really, I don't think he's a big tag team wrestling fan. Somebody like Tony Khan, who's got guys that work for him that are really smart guys, you know, that really understand parts of the industry. If like, for example, if he sat there and went to William Regal or, or Jake Roberts or Arn Anderson and said, okay, I want to do a tag team tournament. We've got great tag teams in here. We're going to have, uh, you know, eight tag teams in this tournament. Okay. And I want you to book out a month long tournament. Uh, I'm going to give you a couple weeks to come up with it. You know, it's not like I expect it tomorrow morning, book out the entire tournament. The only thing I'm going to tell you is I want FTR to win, but I want him to win on the last night. Uh, you know, and just book it out and you come up with the other teams. And that way during that month long tournament, because this is what happened every year in the all Japan and new Japan tournaments, there was always upsets. You always had the team that, you know, uh, you weren't expecting, you know, a private party, uh, the acclaimed, suddenly they defeat the young bucks. They get the rub from that victory or, or they defeat, you know, another team that's, uh, you know, Daniel, uh, Brian and, uh, Moxley. John Moxley, you know, yeah. uh, you know, they, they upset one of those guys and it's just one match in a tournament, but they take that one match and that's the rub that gets them starting to move up the charts and it doesn't affect the, you know, the young bucks or, or Moxley and, and Brian Danielson, because it's just one fucking match in a tournament. And, you know, we go on and we're in the finals of the tournament, something like that, you know? So it would take a lot of thought. You'd have to have someone who's very intelligent that has time to do it. Because honestly, as much stuff as Tony Khan's doing, I don't really think Tony Khan's got time to do that. But he's got people that are very intelligent, people working for him. And I think it's something that could be done. And his second question is, do you think a shocking upset, like in the NCAA tournament, has its place in wrestling? It made Sean Waltman a national star. Wrestling, to me, needs more upsets. It's so boring. And... Hello, you're absolutely correct, Chris. What do you think, Bear? Yeah, so it, it, he's right about that. I mean, wrestling is, it, there's there's a boredom factor. I yes. would agree with. I just don't know. I don't know in this day and age about shocking upsets because, again, it made one, two, three kids' uh, career, but that would have been 30 years ago, 28 years ago. So that well, would have been the early 90s. I just think it's a different world, and I think the internet's oh, that's, changed that, things. That's fair. Yeah, I just don't think I don't think at this point, I think the big shock is when somebody shows up on a show that you don't like William Regal coming out on the pay-per-view. Yeah. Right. Big yeah. shock. I just well, don't know if you get it with wins and losses anymore. No, but the, the point I just made about like in a tag team tournament, say, for example, if you have private party or you have the acclaimed uh, yeah. on one night uh, upset, that, that's the kind of thing that can give them a rub that, you know, can catapult them to uh to different uh, heights, you know? So uh, anyway, next, Mark Small, what's everyone's take on chicken wings? Do you like them with barbecue or spicy bear? Spicy, but I, however, let me go sideways, spicy barbecue. That's actually my favorite. There you go. Yeah. That's great, yeah. The last couple times we've uh, had uh, wings, uh, I had Mrs. Bowdrin pick me up a little bit of the sesame ginger sauce, and I've had that on my uh, my wings. Uh, you know, I like the buffalo sauce. I usually get a medium you know, I, I like them with a little bit of bite to them, but uh, the sesame ginger is really nice. I, I really enjoy that. Andrew Betts wants to know, does Vince McMahon go national without Hogan? Oh, yeah. I think he would still go national. 
The question is, who would he have gone national with? My guess is the aforementioned Jimmy Snuka probably would have been that guy. But, you know, no, he still would have gone national. And uh, and look, whatever we think of Hogan, that was the right decision. I would agree. Mark Russ wants to know, why was or is Ole Anderson so bitter about the Briscoes selling out to Vince? Did he get some profit of the sale being a shareholder? Uh, the second question is actually a really good question because I'm guessing the answer is no. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to guess the answer is no as well. And look, I don't know. I I I. I know that the sale uh, only would be a good guy for the unexpurgated. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if only Zabe, I, I know he's yeah, in no, he's terrific bad. shape. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't think, he, I don't think he's even speaking any longer, but if yeah. he's able to, but uh, that's a good question. Look, Oli's bitter. Oli is uh, unfiltered. He doesn't play any sort of politics. There was an edge to Oli 50 years ago. And uh, you know, the last I heard maybe two or three years ago, there was still an edge to Oli. So bitter, bitter about everything unhappy about a lot, not afraid to tell you about that. Um, that's where I would stand with that. I think Oli was bitter because the business was changing. It was changing faster than he could keep up with. And Oli was essentially a product of a bygone era. Yep. What do you think? Is that I fair? hundred percent. Yes, he was. He yes. was Bill Watts. He was with a, you know, no, with a that's, attitude, that's, but that's Watts fair, is yeah. another guy that to me, I think he's one of the greats of all time, especially if you look at his work in the 70s and the 80s, right? Which take out the WCW stuff in the early 90s, but a guy that was not able to transition into the 90s at all. Chris Z wants to know, was there ever a main event that you went into without high hopes that ended up surprising you? And was there ever a main event that you did have high hopes for that ended up disappointing you? So a lot of questions for a guy that's a grocery store manager, by the way. Yeah. So there was, and of course, in hindsight, I should have seen this coming. There was a match in Miami Beach between Dusty Rhodes and the Sheik. And I was uh, very, again, this was probably 1980. So at this point, the Sheik's career, he's already, you know, he's over the hill. He's, he's seen his better days, but the gimmick, you know, look, the Sheik, he could have worked that gimmick as long as he could walk. Uh, he could work that gimmick. And the match, I want to say, lasted maybe 90 seconds. So, you know, and Dusty did that. Dusty did that more than once, where he would book himself in a main event, and then the main event would literally go less than two minutes, and then it was over. So that that was a big disappointment because you get excited. You know, I didn't grow up with the Sheik. Again, I know he was limited, but I really wanted to see the Sheik, and I wanted to. I figured it's going to be a bloodbath. It was, but it only lasted 90 seconds. A match, a main event that I went into, that was better than I would have expected. I don't know if there was a main event. I'll give I you one. That way. Okay. I had zero hopes that Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior was going to be any oh, kind of go. decent. And, and it ended up being a very compelling match. It was booked incredibly. Uh, and they made it into a, a very uh, interesting match to watch. Uh, the one that sprung to my mind, a match that I thought was going to be super that I always uh, heard for whatever the reason did not get over, uh, and was a, a very unwatchable match was, I want to say 85, maybe 86, uh, when both guys were at their peak was, uh, Ricky Joshi versus Ric Flair. Uh, they met in all Japan and it was just a colossal disappointment, uh, as far as the quality of the match. Lewis Kippelman, if you are there, could you please join us? We have a question for you, sweet Lou. 
Oh. It comes from Jason Ward. Jason wants to know, Lou, describe the first time you ever saw the Giants. He says here, quote, at the stick, using the euphemism for the candlestick park there. Uh, a supplemental question, when did you become a baseball fan? Well, my memories are kind of dim because I was very young at the time, I think. Five oh, I thought s- they'd been blurred by various, uh, uh, you know. Flowers? Uh, well, yes, of course. Elixirs? Maybe. Kate Asbury, if you will. Sure, sure. I was five or six years old, which would have been in the mid to later 70s when the Giants were truly craptastic. And uh, Candlestick Park was, well, it, it was always a crap hole, especially when the Niners moved in in 71 and they turned it into a, you know, a multi-purpose stadium. I just remember it was my father and my great uncle from New York, who I'm sure, I don't know if he was a New York Giants fan, which might have been the impetus for going to a game. All I remember is getting a pennant, and it might have been like a junior bat day or something, because I remember getting a little uh, a little black baseball bat for the Giants. Things, they, uh, they still do that because, you know, handing people weapons <laughs> in the stands, I, know. I would think maybe it's not yeah. something you want to do these days. Yeah, I think it's gone the way of 10-cent beer night. Yeah. I, I don't think like at a Dodgers-Giants game, it's going to be bat night. <laughs> you know? Oh, no. Yeah. So when I really became a fan, probably when I was just a little older, probably around the mid 80s or so 82 83 so who was the who was the big deal for the giants when you first really became a fan it's obviously after the, the barry bonds and bobby mercer years i'm guessing right yes yes i think it would would have been jack the ripper jack clark jack clark okay gotcha one eyebrow jack oh so, yes yes all right thank you lewis appreciate it barry next question from your old friend chris spiker kept man by his wife, Dr. Spiker. Chris wants to know, without it being Brock Lesnar, which of the Undertaker's opponents at WrestleMania should have broken the streak, if any? I I don't know if I'm overly qualified to answer this question. I would imagine the way Brock has been positioned, it it makes sense that if Undertaker is going to retire, in a worked sport, it doesn't make sense to retire with this streak intact, right? Like there should be somebody. I would say Brock would be the guy because conceivably Brock has been positioned as this monster beast over the last few years, 10 years that he's been back, 12 years, whatever the length of time is. So I do think Brock was the right guy. I can't really think of anybody else that I, I think ever posed a true threat to The Undertaker. Uh, certainly Shawn Michaels had some, you know, the, the ever polarizing, uh, Shawn Michaels had some very good matches with the undertaker, but at the same time, I don't see, yeah, to me, Brock was the guy that actually made sense. So I'm going to shock some people. I can't believe how overrated the topic and conversation about the under undertaker losing, uh, a match at wrestling, like who fucking cares? I mean, I'm not shitting on Chris's question. It's a fair question, but it's just like the fact that people literally lost their mind and and, there there is these videos of people crying because the undertaker lost. I mean, come on, it's fucking wrestling, you know, who cares? 
Oh, you know, no, you're right. <laughs> Absolutely. I, it's just like, you know, like he was a great gimmick. Uh, you know, and it, it, can you believe a couple weeks ago because he said, oh, today's wrestlers aren't as tough as they And everyone's like, all of a sudden they're shitting on him like he's like the grumpy old man of wrestling now. You know, guess what? Every generation, 10 years before that, people were shitting on uh, guys that were like the Undertaker because they weren't as good as they used to be. And then 10 years before that, guys were shitting on guys. Oh, they're not as tough as they used to be. That happens every every decade in wrestling. Someone complains that the you know, current crop of wrestlers uh, isn't as good as they used to be. Hey, sure. Guess what? This is not new, people. <laughs> this, this is something that literally happens every few years. So, no, which, which it does, too. I yeah. think that is a, uh, yeah, that that's a really, look, everybody's going to shit on it, the fans today who who are loving what they're currently seeing are going to shit on wrestling in 20 years, right? Yeah. It's the nature of the business. So, yes, I agree with that. Ron Wayne wants to know, Barry, which Bowie album did you prefer of these four? Heroes, Scary Monsters, Let's Dance, or The Next Day? So I really, And if your all-time favorite isn't among them, then what is it? Sure. So, it, well, it is. So I really like Let's Dance, but that's not my answer. But that really, that represented a great period of my life right there in 1983. That would be uh, my choice also, by the way. Yeah, so I do love it. Scary Monsters is probably my favorite, though, or I think a better representation of Bowie. But at the same time, boy, do I love Let's Dance. Yeah, I love I love China Girl. Oh, baby, yep. just you shut your mouth. Or is it uh, mouse? Or is it shut your mouse? What? It doesn't. Did he, you ever listen to it? He goes, oh, baby, just you shut your mouse. So I don't know. Well, That's if I fucked it up, then you got me. No, 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 you're right. Or maybe though, maybe it's some kind of shot right. at Disney. <laughs> it's a shot. No, you're right, though, because it is supposed to be shut your mouth. Right. But I always hear mouse out of that. I don't know why. OK, Paul Boudreaux wants to know, are either Barry or Jeff outdoorsy? Camping, hiking, etc. Camping, no. And I make no apologies for that. Hiking, I have hiked. I actually, Jeff, I took, you're going to like this story. So the things we do for the ones we care about, right? So the young lady that I'm currently seeing. <clears throat> all right, yes. she's my age. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but she She's very athletic. She is uh, stronger than I, which is, doesn't really say a lot, but it's the same your ass once at least. Oh, at least she can, she can look at me and I'm already, uh, but she's physically, uh, she is strong. She's athletic. She is gifted and she spends a lot of time at the gym. She, uh, she does a lot outdoors, but she likes to walk several times per week around this park and it's 6.2 miles. And I've done this with her numerous times, the latest being yesterday afternoon. And uh, I always try to get out of it, of course. You know, <laughs> like always, I'm coming up with every excuse. Oh, it's too hot. It's too cold. It's whatever. I think it's too windy. I try to get out of it. But we the, the walks are fun. And we always go out for this big, huge breakfast afterward, which completely negates the, the exercise we just did. But I enjoy it. Yesterday, we went for this walk. We were out. And we got caught up as we're doing this walk in a snow squall. I'll say 60 mile an hour winds oh snowing. And here's the crazy part. When you're doing this walk, Jeff, there's nowhere to go. <laughs> there's, you're in the middle of this fucking squall. And all you can do is continue to cover your face and walk. And of course, we also had Ozzy with us, too. So. So at that very moment, I was doing a lot of cursing, going, what the fuck? Why did I agree to this? But at the same time, 
I don't really do a lot of hiking, though I've done it. I do spend time outdoors. If you're talking beach, 100%, anything related to that, boating, I don't care what it is. But if you're talking, I, I'm out in the woods putting up a tent, that, that isn't happening. So I will say uh, I'm also uh, very uh, anti-camping. I just never got the appeal of going out and lying on flat earth and the weather's miserable outside. I, I think I may have talked uh, or mentioned uh, long ago my uh, my one big camping experience uh, was when we went to visit my brother in Alaska when he was stationed up there. And, uh, you know, it's funny. We were talking – Lou was talking about Candlestick Park, and there was an old joke about how the uh, – the coldest winter day I ever spent was a summer at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. And uh, much much like that, uh, I was up there in Alaska, and we were in Fairbanks, like in the middle of the state, you know, where it's uh, it, it's not Anchorage, which is on the coast. This is like deep in the uh, middle of uh, nowhere. And uh, it was, I think, June. And that night, we were by a river, and the river's coming off the icebergs. And my bro- I'm looking at my brother, and my brother's just sleeping, no problem. And I'm like, how the fuck are you sleeping? I'm freezing my ass off. Let's get the fuck out of here. So, yeah, not a camping guy. Uh, as far as the other stuff, I, unfortunately, used to love to go uh, for walks, and I used to love to uh, ride my bike. And, unfortunately, because of uh, the cancer and uh, my after effects of that uh, with my peripheral neuropathy uh, in my legs and feet, uh, that is, uh, taking long walks, not an option anymore. Uh, you know, as are, uh, you know, uh, the whole bike thing. So that's, uh, that's no longer part of my regimen, needless to say, but thank you for your question, Paul. And thank you everybody else, Barry. This has been fun. It's always good delving into the questions of our listeners. Yeah. look, we're the ones that came up with this concept too. There is, there's imitators out what? there. Oh, absolutely. We, we were the first ones uh, to come up with a question and answer segment. Ours are always the best as well. So, uh, but the, this is always fun. And you know what? There were some excellent questions this time as well. Barry, we have to bring up, oh, it was, I, I think four people posted about it in our group. I, I think the first one I saw was our old, uh, old friend, Judy Steele. Kevin Sullivan and J.J. Dillon on, uh, what is it, the People's Court or something like that was Steve. Steve Harvey, of course, known for his legal expertise all oh. the time he spent in law school. Barry, tell us what you've heard about J.J. and Sully on the People's Court. Yeah, and Steve Harvey, too, is about as uh, funny as cancer of the toenail. He just literally, <laughs> Steve Harvey to me, how this guy, apparently a huge douche in real life, and I say that because uh, – I know somebody that worked with him at Universal Studios. I guess he would do the Steve Harvey show once a year from Universal Studios. And somebody there that I've known for 25 years would work with him. And as bad as Steve Harvey, his reputation was, apparently it was 10 times worse. The guy, complete tool, horrible individual. I'm just Uh, glad that he has his original teeth and they've never been worked on, Barry. Yet, but porcelain veneers. What do you think? (laughs) Slightly, right? Yeah, he's got uh, he's got those uh, porcelain veneers. That's what I uh, said. Yeah. No, no, that Matt Dillon had in something about areas. Huge, (laughs) fuck yeah! But just an unfunny guy on the screen as well. So, I uh, when this was taking place, I get a message from Penzer, and I got to say, a bunch of people reached out to me as well, and is like, "Are you watching this?" And I was not. I had zero interest. I did go back the next day and watch it. And it, it was just it was cute for what it was. But it was obviously these two guys like each other. And Penzer says, do you know this all started at CWF Fan Fest number two? 
And I was like, what? So he proceeds to tell me the story. So we were, we were having breakfast one morning. It was me and you, Jeff, with Kevin Sullivan and J.J. Dillon, where the discussion was, I would say, 95% baseball. Do you remember that? Yes. Yeah. Sully, a big uh, Red Sox fan. And wearing a Red Sox jersey, if I'm correct, that day. So we're sitting there. They're talking. They're both discussing. I got to say, too, that my love of baseball, you know, at first it isn't love, but you do love baseball. These two guys sat there and talked baseball for at least an hour, maybe two. And we're going back like 100 years. And Sully was discussing the book he was reading about baseball and JJ had been reading the same book. So these two are the best of friends. And there was a brief conversation about a boat that, that Sully wanted to buy. So, so when this is all taking place, Penzer remembers this conversation to some degree, a separate conversation that he had with Sullivan over the boat and texts him and says, Holy shit. You know, you're on you're in. He goes, yeah, I'm on TV. He goes, but did you know that this took place at Fan Fest number two? And this was Sullivan to Penzer. So apparently Sullivan needed a down payment while he was in Florida to get this boat. And J.J. apparently wrote him the check at the Fan Fest. And that was 2017. So it was almost five years ago, had not gotten paid. And I'm going to speculate on the rest of it, that they decided to go on to Steve Harvey. As it turns out, Steve Harvey wound up paying that $7,500. So, and then Sully and JJ hugged afterwards. These two are the best of friends though, and have been the best of friends for years, but it's kind of cool because you never know what's going to happen at a fan fest, including one wrestler asking another one for money and then not paying him back for I, I can't believe he didn't go to Penzer, uh, well-known for his uh, ability <laughs> yeah. to, uh, right there, just uh, whip off a uh, couple grand in cash, uh, always on hand. Uh, you know, as you said, at the uh, Legends Fan Fest, you, you got this, you got guys uh, wandering around parking lots uh, under the influence of uh, uh, various, uh, various uh, uh, controlled substance, uh, at least in parts of the state of Florida. Uh, and apologizing for things that we didn't know what he was apologizing for. So you never know, Barry, what's going to happen at one of these Legends Fan Fest, which is why you need to go. Am I correct? You absolutely need to go. There's always something happening. And even right now, we're we're trying to get stuff and trying to line up little surprises. But with it, you know, like we've talked about the first Fan Fest, Roberto Soto and Glacier showed Who? up. And, Who? Right? Well, I remember Glacier. Yeah. I don't remember Roberto Soto actually being there. Yeah, well, he wouldn't admit to it, right? But then, uh, then I actually had... got his name as a suggested friend. Ha! Did you really? Yeah. Yeah, he was an interesting guy. And then we, uh, I think it was not the last one, but the one before that, we had one of the Ascension, the big guy, yes. Connor, I think yeah. goes by Big Con right now. He just showed up one time, but we've had people just show up, you know, and I'm, I know that I'm forgetting Others, Brian Blair showed up. Brian Blair showed up yeah. just one time just to say hello to some people. Jody Simon, Jody Malenko, who you may be hearing more from in the future with us. Oh uh, yeah, he showed up as well. So we never know. But this was such a unique story. And uh, what I thought was interesting about this more than anything else, Sullivan and JJ apparently didn't tell a soul because nobody knew that this was happening. Of course, now everybody did. Right. But beforehand there wasn't one word that this was going to be taking place that night not one person knew about it 
Barry, another fun episode. Always good to go around the uh, proverbial ballpark and uh, talk about a lot of different stuff. It's always good to uh, share thoughts, uh, not only about great matches, but uh, about uh, you know questions from our audience and uh, the uh, the various and sundry other things going on in the world. We're always happy when you join us. Barry, you about ready for the old go home, my friend? This has been a lot of fun. It's a, it's a hodgepodge, if you will, Jeff. That it is the hodgepodge podcast. That's the easy yes. to say. So on that note, I will remind you, Breaking Kayfabe, about and Barry, a production of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. I, I tried to do it really slow this week, uh, just for a little uh, change of pace there. On behalf of my co-host, Barry Rose, I am Jeff the, the Booker Baudrin. And for our producer, the sweet man, Lou Kippelman, out in Frisco. Until next week, take it home, Lewis. Bye.